This is episode 58 with Rebecca Smith, former gymnast and the founder of the Complete Performance Coaching. And today we're talking about how to overcome fear and anxiety, especially in competitive sports, and nurture an athlete's mind. If they don't want to talk, don't make them talk. And also when you drop them off, don't say, go get your skill today, go score some goals today. Don't, don't emphasize the outcome. Just emphasize that you love them have fun. You know, that was really fun to watch you. I'm so proud of you. You're working really hard out there and then zip it. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired or maybe yelling at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum or learn to manage your stress or just to become a more confident mom. If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired. I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of sharing inspiring conversations on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started. Hey ladies, hey mamas, welcome to another episode of Citrus Love. Today I'm speaking with Rebecca Smith. She is a specialized coach for teens, 10 to 18 year old, in the science of fear and anxiety. She has studied sports psychology and is a former gymnast and the founder of the Complete Performance Coaching and her performhappy.com program. She also has a Facebook group for parents that have kids in competitive sports called Sports Confidence Accelerator, and she is also host of the podcast, Perform Happy. From this conversation, you'll understand that her deep passion lies in using evidence-based approach that allows fearful young athletes to learn to trust themselves again. When your child is participating in something that is high-performing, such as swimming, gymnastics, soccer, tennis, figure skating, or any other competitive sport. We talk about why does the brain sabotage the body when all you want to do is to be successful. So we're going to talk about the athlete's mindsets. We talk about how they can hone in on their voice, speak up. She mentions that there are four pillars of training her rule of 60%, why legalizing failure is her go-to strategy, what happens when you can't handle the pressure, how to create more consistency in your sport, regardless of the pressure and anxiety that you might feel. I ask about toxic culture in competitive sport. Has that changed? Is it still present? And if it is, what to do about it? I asked her about the do's and don'ts of how to parent a child and other goodies. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Please leave a review if you do appreciate these conversations. And with that said, let's listen in on this week's episode with Rebecca Smith. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for being on Citrus Love Podcast today and to talk about mental strength and how we can help our kids and as parents and what we can do around that. And we'll talk about what you're doing with that specifically. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. So first, I want to clarify what exactly that you do. You're a complete performance coach. What exactly does that mean? Yes. So I've been over the last five years trying to figure out how to explain this in a way that, <laughs> that, that it comes out quickly. But basically I work with young athletes, helping them overcome anxiety and fear. So it's a lot of the, the really high, um, high achievers, those sort of perfectionist kids who end up in these really high pressure sports like gymnastics, figure skating, swimming, competitive cheerleading, who they already are a little high strung. Um, and of course, like this is me. So this is why I work with these kids are a little high strung. They really want to be perfect and they are good at it, but their mind is getting in the way. Mm -hmm. So we help them through one-on-one -on -one coaching, through online training and through group, um, group sessions to get the, basically kids age 10 to 17, the tools that they need 
to be able to sort of relax and have fun and get back to why they started doing the sport to begin with. Mm -hmm. And is this, um, so you do some one-on-one coaching. Do you do uh, team coaching as well, or it's more specific to the individual and their needs? Yes. So we do both. Um, My company, we have a a bunch of amazing coaches. And so we do obviously virtual, we do virtual teams right now, but um, pre-pandemic I was, I had a local gym that I would go into every other week and do experiential learning with, we play games and we'd sort of push them out of their comfort zone in a fun way and then ask them to go, okay, what'd you learn about yourself when you were under pressure or when you were mad or when you were sad or when, you know, whatever we were doing in the game what did you learn about yourself? And so, I mean, the group context is really fun to, to like, you know, have them. Cause I, I believe that how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. So you get into this high pressure situation, whether it's a game of cards or it's a gymnastics competition. And then if you reflect, you go, Oh, I do do that often. Don't <laughs> I, when I'm under pressure. So that's really fun. And we are able to do that in the virtual group too. But for the most part, I work with um, groups of athletes who come in individually and then they work together through their anxiety and they build confidence as a group, even though they're not actually on the same team. Mm -hmm. But I do, but I do both. It's fun. It's fun to work with a team and it's also fun to just work with a group of individual athletes Mm -hmm. also. And right now is everything online or you do still do some one-on-one coaching? You know, it's been all online for a long time for me. So it's, this was a really easy transition because it's always been online because what I do is so specific Mm -hmm. that if I just worked in Petaluma, California, I would have, you know, a few people to help. But if I go like, I'm the girl who can help you with your fear of going backwards on the beam, then, you know, the kid in Canada is going to come and and I'll help them and the kid in Mexico and the kid. So I work with kids all over because, because what I do is so specialized. So So you touched a bit upon you're doing that because it's kind of who you were. And so I want to touch on that because we all often hear we either teach what we've learned or what we've lived through ourselves. So let's talk a bit about how you were were before. So you were a former gymnast and you shared that you struggle with mental blocks for years before it finally destroyed your gymnastic career. So can you talk about that and how it was for you when you were an athlete? Yes. Oh, so I, I've always been a really hard worker, very goal oriented. And I really wanted to be liked by my coaches. I just really wanted them to be pleased. And if my coaches were happy, then everybody would be happy. And, and I had, I had very high expectations for myself. And, and so I, I, it made me really anxious because I really didn't want to fail. I desperately did not want to fail you at that time. That was around age like 11 to 14 was when it okay. really started to ramp up this, this intense fear of failure. And people would tell me, oh, you're so good at the beam and you're so, and so I'd have sort of these, everyone giving me compliments, which instead of making me feel confident, it put pressure on me. Like, okay. oh, I have to be good at beam. I have to be good at beam. Everyone mm-hmm. says I'm good at beam. And then I would go to compete and I would, I would literally shake so hard from nerves that I would wobble off the beam or that I would get these horrible scores because they thought I was wobbling because I couldn't stop shaking because I was so nervous to do something that I was naturally good at. And then I also had skills that I was good at as well that some days I couldn't even do. I couldn't get my brain to let my body go backwards because it was all too, it was just too scary. And I didn't know what was going on and it eventually took the fun out of it for me. And I also thought I was the only one that was dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And my coaches, I had one coach who would yell and I had one coach who would be like, it's okay. I'll stand there and I'll put my hand there and I'll spot you again. And I'll stand there again. And here's another mat. And mm-hmm. one coach was like, do it or climb the rope. And so I had these two <laughs> opposite influences and neither of them worked. And so I ended up quitting at age 14 and then went back and started coaching at 15. Cause I had one boring year. I was like, what, what, where's my gymnastics? I miss it. <laughs> and then I found myself in the situation again as a coach where these girls couldn't do their skills and they were nervous and I was either yelling or I was being too nice, but either way, it wasn't helping. It was just frustrating for everybody. So that's, that's why I went and I studied sports psychology and specifically like the, the science of fear and anxiety and mm-hmm. how it relates to 
the high pressure and the high expectations in these, these, this specific type of kid. And when you began studying this, that was after you graduated from high, from high school. So a couple of yes. years later. Okay. Yeah. So in, in college and then into graduate school, that was my focus was, you know, why does this happen that the brain sabotages the body when all you want to do is please, all you want to do is be successful, but it has the opposite effect. I read that you've been doing this coaching for 20 years. When did you start your own business? So I started coaching when I was 15 and I did that for 15 years. And I, during that time I went to college, but then I, I, um, I got a little derailed by the same anxiety, that same Mm. fear of failure. I noticed it coming up in myself as I went through college. I actually quit college after a year. It's like, it's too hard, too much. Even though I'd been told my whole life, you're so smart, you're so smart. So it's sort of like this same pattern happening. And then I went, I, I finally got like my support squad, I call it, in, in action. And they were like, girl, you can do this. Just take one class. Just take a baby step in. Just take one class. And I was like, it's too hard. It's too hard. And they're like, just, just go tomorrow. Just go tomorrow. And they really helped me sort of break it down. Who were these people specifically? Like friends? My friends, my husband, um, a woman who's sort of a mother figure to me who I don't, I just was like, I, you know, you have the life I want. So I'm going to just lean on you a little bit. And, and she had her own business and she's like, you don't need to take 17 classes. You just go to one class and you just do it tomorrow. And you just like, she helped me really get out of that whole, like, it has to be perfect and it has to be big and just break it down. And And that was your perfectionist side. Look, you were, you always had this high level of anxiety. Yes, I did. Because amazing or don't do it kind of thing. Exactly. And it actually came from, you know, people around me telling me how great I was, which it's Mm. so backwards. You know, you're so smart. You're so talented. You're so this. And, and all it did was put this pressure on me that made me feel like it's all too much. I can't handle it. Mm. So then I finally get through one step at a time. Seven years later, I have a master's degree. And that's when I started my coaching business. And that was five years ago that I stopped the physical coaching and went fully into just the mental side and helping, helping the little, little me sort out how to, how to live with this type of a personality, basically. So you train your youngest students are 10 years old. Yes. For the most part, we've had, I've had like one little guy who was seven and a handful of eight and nine year olds. Um, But, but for the most part, it's sort of that, like that adolescent angsty athlete who I I help the best. Um, You say that when it comes to youth athletes um, reaching a plateau in their training, how much is it actually mental and how much is it actually physical? So you have to factor it all in. And I look at it like there are four pillars of peak performance. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is the physical training. If you have a growth spurt, that's going to impact your ability to perform temporarily. Mm. You know, if you get bigger or taller, your your center of gravity changes and you're going to have to sort of like, ooh, what? that can definitely create a plateau in a lot of different sports. Um, The next one is nutrition. So if you are not being fueled properly, if you're not getting hydrated enough, um, so physical training, and then there's also rest and recovery. So if you're not getting enough sleep, that can cause a plateau. That is one of the biggest reasons why people get afraid or they have a plateau. And then the final one is the mind. So I believe that they're all critical. Um, I mean, there's like Shannon Miller is an Olympic gymnast and she says that it's 90% mental. 10% 10% physical, especially in competition. Mm-hmm. But in practice, I believe that it's, you got to have all four of those things in place. And then for competition, that's where the mental side really kind of makes or breaks you. So mm-hmm. You can hold it together best under pressure. When you're speaking about all of this, I'm thinking for a mother listening that could, she could apply this to her own life <laughs> thinking about all this because it translates well because when you have a lot of anxiety and pressure to help you on that side as well um yes. another thing you have said is one of the ways you coach athletes is in re-examining the stories they tell themselves on what they can achieve in terms of their sporting abilities. So what kind of stories have you coached these athletes on that were preventing them from achieving their goal or achieving a higher level of performance? 
I think the biggest one that I come up against in this, this particular type of person is I can't speak up or I can't ask for help or even I don't need help that they might be struggling. And I, and I see this in myself, like, oh, okay, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. I'm going to figure it out. And then they, they're just trying it and they're sort of like bashing their head against the wall. Like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out because they feel like it's not okay to ask for help where really it's the voice. It's your voice. That's, and that really, that Hmm. there's a couple of solutions to this, you know, phenomenon of sort of getting shut down by your own anxiety. One is the feeling of, I can speak up when I need something. I can speak up when things are not feeling safe or right. Mm -hmm. I can ask for what I need and then I can take it bit by bit, teeny itty bitty baby steps at a time. And so those stories of like, I have to get it done now. That's not useful because no, you only have to do this teeny little piece that's in front of you right now. And then we can do the next little bit after that. And then this, this story of, I have to be perfect or I have to do the whole thing and it has to be amazing. Like, no, you just have to make progress. That's the big shift for a lot of these, these athletes. And for me, it's like, you don't have to do it great. I'm doing distance learning with my kindergartner right now. And my guidepost has been 60%. Just do 60% because I know in myself that I'm like, okay, we have this project and we've got to get all the things together. No, hon. Mm -hmm. Nope. We are all trying to live here. So we're going to just do 60%. And then, oh my gosh, it's been so freeing because then then if we go above that, I feel fantastic instead of feeling like I'm only at 99, I'm feeling bad. Just lowering the the expectations we set on what we, we should be doing. What are specific examples of how you're doing that? Because for kids, it's easy to say something, but if you don't show them exactly how to apply it, then it can go like over their heads. So what are some specific ways that you are showing them how to overcome that mental roadblock? Mm -hmm. So one of my favorites is for kids who get nervous, Um, you know, those sort of performance anxiety Mm -hmm. situations. I, the first thing we do is we legalize failure. We say failure is now officially allowed and actually Mm -hmm. encouraged. And something that I'll do with, you know, kids are maybe in that adolescent age is I'll have them write a list of all their failures, all their biggest failures, the worst ones that made them feel so sad and were so terrible. So they'll write them down. And even that process of them writing down you know, this failure, they can look at that and be like, oh, well, I mean, that wasn't that big of a deal, but I'm like the biggest, the ho- most horrible failures you can think of. And they write a list. And then we take each one, one at a time and we go, okay, what wisdom did you gain from that failure? For each one, you have to find at least one nugget of wisdom that made you better or smarter or stronger or kinder or something, something that came from that. And then they fill up their other list and then we look at that. Okay. What are, let's, you know, read me all your wisdom that you got from all these failures. And you know, it's these beautiful things, like it doesn't have to be perfect or everybody, everybody sees things in a different way, or I need to study more or whatever Mm -hmm. it was that they figure out. And I look at that and I go, is that valuable? Is that valuable wisdom? They're like, yes, of course. So was, so was that failure valuable? And, and that's what we want to start identifying is that each of those little, what feels like a failure or a mistake mm-hmm. is instead of a, a source of shame or guilt or, you know, sadness, we can go, oh, that's just, it's just a little, little information. Now you have a more information that will help you to be better. Mm-hmm. So we're, so we encourage failure, you know, go out and fail a whole bunch and then you'll get so much wisdom out of it that you'll be even better the next time. Mm-hmm. When you're coaching them, it's more on mental strategies and less on actual physical skills in their sport. Yes, definitely. Because the last thing that I want to do is create any confusion. You know, and that's one of the things that coaches say is parents, don't coach your kid. Don't even tell them their toes aren't pointed because what's going to happen in the kid is that they're going to go, okay, my mom wants me to do this and my coach wants me to do that. Who am I going to let down? And so they have to, they have to choose who am I letting down in this moment? If my mom wants me to do this and my coach wants me to do this. So then if I'm throwing in a, and don't forget your arms by your ears, then they're like, I'm going to let everybody down, forget it. So I never, ever do that. I always leave that to the coaches because I don't want to give them any more. Like you, if you don't like how your coach is coaching you, then let's have a chat. Let's figure out. Or if you're confused about what they're saying, here's how we might discuss that. Again, the voice giving them mm-hmm. that voice to, to actually go to their coach and say, I don't understand what you're asking me to do here. 
even if I know crystal clear, like, oh, this is probably what they mean and this is what you should do. Yeah. It's yeah. more about empowering them to go get the information and creating less confusion for them. Mm. Are you ever present during one of their games or competition to really see how it's affecting their performance? Most of the time I'm not just because okay. of the virtual nature, yes. but what yes. I do is have them send videos. Can I can watch a video with them. Like I've got figure skaters and I'll, I'll watch it alongside them and, and I can see, okay, right before that mm -hmm. jump, I could see you caving in. Could you feel that? And we, and we talk out kind of what it looks like to mm. me and what it feels like to them. Because what we're doing is basically finding clues. My, my belief is that nothing's ever random when it comes to sport mm -hmm. performance. It's not like you have a random good day or a random bad day. It's that you didn't have enough sleep and you weren't focused and your shoes were too tight or whatever. There's always things you can go back and find, mm -hmm. which then give you the power to go, okay, I'm going to loosen my shoes. I'm going to get more sleep. I'm going to have a good breakfast and I'm going to focus on X, Y, and Z because that's what I learned from last time. And so we're always kind of looking for clues. And if we watch the videos, we can sort of like pick out the clues together, which can be helpful. Yeah. I was watching a documentary about Tom Brady and how he watches his games of football every single time to see how could I have done better. Until you see yourself, you, you might think you're doing something and you're not. It's like yeah. when you see yourself on video and you're like, really? That's how I look when I do that? It makes me think of that. So it would be so useful and a good, a good way to impact their mm -hmm. change. Especially for visual learners. And that's something that's kind of a, some misconceptions, I think, in sports psychology is like, well, everybody just do this. You visualize and you breathe and you, you know, you do these things and you're going to be better. But if you're a visual learner, you might need to see something to zero in your focus. If you're more of an audio learner, you might need to sing a little song in your head or say something mm -hmm. to yourself. If you're a kinesthetic learner, you might need to jump up and down and stretch a couple of things to get you back in your body. So there, that's the cool thing. And it all basically comes back to like Tom Brady paying attention. Yeah. You got to pay attention to what is working. And then instead of being like, something's not working, I'm bad. Mm. No, something's not working. Let's figure out what it is so we can change it. Mm. So that's where you enter in the picture and try to help what's not working. Yes. Figuring mm. out what is working, what's not working. And then, you know, can, I'll even be like, we're going to scratch that off the strategy list. You being really, really hard on yourself and being really mean to yourself doesn't feel like it's working. Does it feel like it's working? Okay. We're taking that off the list of strategies to try. What else? Let's try something different. Yeah. Let's say that athlete that is not really anxious, but just wants to get better. Yes. Yeah. So I've got, uh, I work with a lot of swimmers and one comes to mind who he's a, just such a cool kid. I've been working with him since he was 11 and now he's like going to college soon. Oh and, and he's the kind of kid who's like everything I ever taught him, he put it into practice and remembered it. I'm like, gosh, you remember stuff from like, I don't even remember teaching you that. But you, <laughs> and, and I, I'll see him every once in a while as sort of like a, a little confidence boost. And he's, you know, totally different where he's not the kind of kid who gets nervous under pressure. He requires mm -hmm. pressure. He needs to, because he's so, he's so good. He's so fast that he actually really needs competition to get the best out of himself. Mm -hmm. With him, it's a different, it goes a different direction entirely where it's like, all right, how do we light that fire in you mm -hmm. more often so that your practices are more efficient, so that you're more consistent and so that you don't beat yourself up if you're not perfect still, but it's, it's like a different flavor mm. of that for this guy in particular. Do you ever work with the coaches themselves? Because how, how you're talking about different athletes might need different ways to improve their skills or their performance. A coach has to deal with a team and all sorts of different personalities. What I do for the coaches is more like the, the content that I'm putting out, like I, I do a lot of Facebook live, I do a lot of blog posts mm -hmm. and I do a lot mm -hmm. of sort of like materials for coaches that parents can then share with their coach. That's the, I have, you know, specific videos that are like how to, how to coach through fear. And that's the, the biggest way. But anytime that we're working with a client, I'm always like, get your coach in touch with me if they want. I'm happy to chat with them. I'm happy to go over it with them. Um, but most of, most of my work is helping those, those little girls and guys learn to communicate with their coach mm. because that is the skill that is ultimately going to get them okay. through their fear 
is yes, I'm happy to, you know, send your coach a link and give your coach a worksheet and give your coach some ideas and chat with your coach. But really it's, if that girl who's terrified of speaking to a grown up can walk up to her coach and say, coach, I don't feel ready to do that yet, but I would like to try this. Would that be okay? I mean, that is like victory, victory, mm. victory. So that's, that's what, what you say, learning to use their voice. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And that is often scarier than a backflip on a beam for these kids to, to actually open their mouth and speak about what they need. Yeah. Since you're talking about that, I want to dig in a little bit because I read something you wrote on your website and I was very curious. You say that while you're teaching these athletes to have a voice and stand up against toxic culture of youth sports that exists and have existed for decades, what is happening or what seems to be changing at that level? So it's like anything, like me just taking one class or these athletes just taking one baby step forward on their scary skill. It's, it's incremental. And so we're basically doing it one family at a time, one conversation at a time. And these kids, what I'm noticing is, you know, I basically teach them to slow down, listen to your brain. Don't try to push out of your comfort zone so far that you fall apart, push it incrementally, which means the coaches are like, get up on the high beam. You're ready. And they're, and they have to actually say, coach, I'm not ready yet. And there's a lot of budding heads when that happens. It's very common. And I tell these kids, you know, these people pleasing kids who really don't want to let their coach down. I tell them you might butt heads with your coach for, for like three weeks. They're going to roll their eyes. They're going to say, you don't need that mad. Why are you doing that? Get up on the high beam. And you're going to have to keep speaking up and keep speaking up. And then what happens is these kids start to make real progress and they start to make, they start to mm. build lasting confidence. And then I always joke that the coach takes credit for it at the, in the end. Yeah. It's like your coach is like the biggest obstacle in a lot of these situations. But, but what happens is that the coach sees what happened mm. and the coach sees that slower moves faster for these, these okay. anxious kids. Okay. And then the coach learns how to help the next kid. And the coach learns to not just throw out a threat because it's not a matter of trying to motivate this athlete. It's a matter of allowing this athlete to feel a little safer and then they can be free to succeed. Mm, so that I think creates it. a ripple effect where the, the kids are teaching the coaches how they need to be coached. So you've said that when you talk about mental training with these kids, You've said that sometimes they, they're not very receptive to maybe it's the concept. How do you go about working in that, that part? Yes. So the, I mean, the best way to introduce the concept to a kid is, you know, to let them know Simone Biles, the, the, you know, the best gymnast of all time has a mental coach and every NCAA division one team has a sports psychologist on staff and every professional team has a sports psychologist on staff, not because everybody's crazy, but because it works, because that's just part of those four pillars of success. They also have nutrition mm -hmm. support. They mm -hmm. also will talk about recovery. They will also have a physical therapist. They will also have a trainer who helps you with your injuries. Mm -hmm. It's all parts of creating that the peak performer is mm -hmm. addressing all of the pillars of performance. It's not about you're, you're a nut, so you need some psychological help. It's about <laughs> we train your body, we train your mind, we feed you well, and we get some sleep. And that's just how we become the best athlete. And as a parent and talking from a parent's point of view, so the easiest thing we do is motivate our child. Yes, you can do it. Come on. Da, 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 da. But you say it's not always the right way to go about it. What are some do's and don'ts for parents? Okay. So we'll start with don'ts. But I already mentioned don't coach your kid. Even if you were an Olympian, especially if you were an Olympian, because you might be an Olympian who's a visual learner and your kid's an audio learner. You know, you never know what's different between your brain and theirs and their coaching style and yours and what's changed in the, you know, progressions of coaching over time. So don't, A, don't coach your kids. Make it real simple. Um, B, don't give them It's like external motivation. It's one of the biggest things. Okay. I, I bribed my two-year-old with jelly beans to go potty. I'm going to own that. And it worked. <laughs> But generally speaking, that, um, that like, if you get a, if you score a goal today, we'll go get ice cream. 
Um, that was something that stood in my family. Mm. My little brother was an offense player. He always scored all the goals. We always got ice cream. I played defense. I never scored a, scored a goal in my life as a soccer player. And so I never got ice cream. So I and felt you, like I, ah. I, was, I was a failure at soccer because I never got ice cream, but I was a mm. really good defender. But it was this emphasis on the outcome and the points and the scores that was so harmless. You know, they were really just having fun and like, go get them, kiddo. We love you. But that emphasis on scoring goals made me feel like I wasn't good. So don't put the emphasis on the scores. I mean, this goes even like posting your pictures of your kid with medals on their neck at the end of the competition or posting the scores that they got, the Mm. outcome focus is very, I mean, it's so common. That's what our society does, right? It's like, yay, she competed. Look at all of her medals. They're not posting the, look at her with her bloody hands after a hard workout. She's so tough and hardworking. Which is really what gets you to the medal. Look at her training session. Yeah. Yeah. Look how many hours she has trained. Look at her with her ice pack on her knee. You know, that's not what's getting posted, but that's the, I mean, if you can do anything, it's only praise, effort, and progress. That's it. Effort and progress. Even if they are making zero progress, but they're working so hard, Yeah. that's what you pick them up and say, you work so hard out there, buddy. I'm so proud of you. And they'll roll their eyes and be like, that was the worst practice ever. But, yeah. but, but kiddo, you, I, like, you're sweaty. Good job. Yeah. You're working. Yeah. And then progress. And I mean like the teensiest, teensiest bit of progress of like, if you have the worst soccer player on the planet and you're like, oh my gosh, why am I going to watch this kid play soccer? It is so embarrassing. <laughs> you're like, you got close to the ball today. Yes. Good job. <laughs> or like, I saw you paying attention for those four seconds, you know, and that that's, what's going to help them to start to build the right kind of confidence that makes them feel mm. like, oh, if I get a little closer to the ball, I'm doing a good job instead yeah. of I didn't score any goals. So who cares? What's the point? Mm. And then it's that, that incremental um, and getting my ego out of the way. So I have a little gymnast, you know, and she is so stubborn and she's the kind of kid who has a little perfectionist in her. She doesn't want to, she doesn't want any help ever. And she gets really frustrated if she doesn't do it on the first try. She doesn't want anybody watching until she's got it perfect. And there was this one skill that I was like, just like, come on, just like do a little bit. So fine. And I, I had to be like, you know what? If you never do that, I love you. I love you, love you, love you. And allowed the coaches to just handle it. And then my my job as a mom is just to be the soft place to land at the end of the day. That's it. Mm. Progress, effort, soft place to land. Hugs mm. and snuggles. We have a little mantra in my in our parents' group. Mm. It's rides, hugs, tuition, food. Rides, hugs, tuition, food. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and and let the coaches do everything else. So do you sometimes need to coach the parent? Like if the child you're coaching, maybe they're mentioning, well, my dad says this or my mom says this. When do you start speaking with parents? Like we need to talk. (laughs) Yes. So I always have the initial conversation with both the athlete and the parent for that very reason. It's really purely for me to feel out how much of this is mom and how much of this is the kid. Yeah. And, and I am always like the whole point of that first 20 minute conversation that I have with them is, is basically to be like, if nothing happens, if you don't ever work with me, I want the kid to know that what they're going through is, is normal, understandable. They're not being lazy. They're just afraid. And so just sometimes just for the, the parents having that perspective change of why won't my kid do this skill? I don't understand. She was doing it last year. Fine. What's her problem? What do, like, what are you afraid of? I don't get it. Just do it. They don't understand. So if I can help them to understand the problem and go, well, this isn't about physical capability. This is that the brain is saying it doesn't feel safe right now which might be because they're so afraid of failure or they're afraid of being left behind by their teammates or they're afraid of disappointing their parents. That fear can come across as fear of getting hurt, but it's really this, this, these other fears that need to be addressed. And I think if the parent can see that, they're, they're like, oh, it's not about me bribing you to do it. It's yeah. about us figuring out how to help you feel safe. That's, that's really good through these conversations I'm having on the podcast, it seems that when the child is doing something, 
you have to to include the parent so that they work together in a way because obviously yes. most of the parents you always hear oh i have my child has a game i have to leave work early or i oh we're busy this weekend they're competing so the child can't drive and you i don't know how it is these days but I know when I was a teenager, you'd hear and see on the news these bully uh, parents bullying coaches and screaming from the bleachers when they didn't agree with how the referees or coaches, if they were benching their child. How have you seen it evolve today, hearing from these student, these athletes that are coming to you? You know, that's, again, my job is to help these kids advocate for themselves. And okay. if that means, dad, they still need it. when you are yelling at me from the sidelines, I get really distracted and I get stressed out and then I, I freeze. Please, dad, can you yell within your heart? <laughs> can you, you please, dad. Do you have like quite a few kids mentioning these things or not as much? The thing I hear more is that it's there's a lot of coach yelling and okay. that that really punitive coaching, especially in the very highest level of athletes you know that are that are on the elite track. There's a lot of um, very stern coaching that straddles the line of bullying. It happens with parents as well, but but what I notice in especially in the individual sports that I'm working with primarily, it's a lot of the coach bullying. And so I, it's been a kind of a personal crusade to go, oh, they pushed you off a beam. That's abusive. And that deserves to be reported to safe sport. And also telling parents, you know, some gyms have policies where you can't view practice, which is actually against safe sport rules that you have to be able to see your child in practice or they can be reported. You know, so there's certain things that I just want to like let people know this is not okay. This is not just tough coaching. This is not acceptable mm -hmm. and it needs to be reported. But then there's been this fear underlying, if I report my coach, then they're going to retaliate, which there are fortunately structures in place that if there's any retaliation from somebody who's already under investigation, their punishment gets worse. Mm -hmm. So I want people to know like, yes, speak up, report, let them know this is not okay. And if they're being investigated and they take it out on you, that goes in the file, you know, and that, that further helps to get that person who's not safe out of the coaching environment. Mm -hmm. And, and I have to own as a former coach, I coached in ways that today could be considered abusive because it was the way I was coached, like pushing mm -hmm. people down in their splits and yelling and making fun of people. Or I'm, I think I've pushed a kid off a beam before. Cause I was like, you're not doing it right. Get off. And it's, it was, I mean, it's, it, it's horrifying to me to think about that today <laughs> because I'm like, that's just how it is in gymnastics. It's just what you do. Yeah. It can't yeah. be anymore. It can't. And the parents I think have to, have to start standing up to these adults on behalf of their kids mm -hmm. and the coaches have to own it, that it, this is no longer acceptable. Wow. Yeah. So it's giving the, these kids the confidence basically to stand up for themselves. So basically they're in control They're They're seeing it happening and they have to speak up. Yeah. And you wow. can't change everybody. You know, sometimes yeah. you're going to be in a situation where the coach is just rude, but they're not abusive. Yeah. And so that's when you get to own, all right, how am I going to choose to, to react in this situation? Mm -hmm. What am I going to allow in? What am I going to take on? What stories am I going to tell myself about this? You know, this coach isn't yelling at me because I'm bad. The coach is yelling at me because he's a jerk. So I'm going to get back to work and do my best here, but I'm not going to take this personally, which is a tall order for a kid, mm -hmm. but something that we can start to learn as a kid and then step into as adults where we can be like that. My boss is a jerk, but I'm not going to take this personally. It's, it's skills that benefit them their whole life. Have you seen changes in nowadays? They're more open to speaking up to an authority figure, someone older. How do you see it? Yeah. So the, the kids who start working with us in Perform Happy, that's our mm -hmm. online um, community, almost always are these little sweetie pies who are so sweet and wonderful and just nervous. And they they cannot open their mouths. Like they don't want to be on camera in the Zoom meeting. They don't want to unmute ever. <laughs> I mean, there's one girl who it was like four months before she unmuted on a Zoom meeting. And I oh was like, gosh. oh my gosh, success. Hooray. This is amazing. This is an amazing day. And she like turns bright red. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to freak out. <laughs> but, but those, I like on the micro level, that girl now today is going to do a lot, a Facebook live interview with me 
like live broadcast, that girl who couldn't even unmute herself Wow, to do that. So these kids who they just don't think they can have a voice, they start little and they inch in and they get better and better and they help their teammates to learn how to do it too. Yeah. And they help their teammates to learn what they need to ask for and that ripple effect. It just- oh, wow. That's amazing. How often are you coaching them? So you, let's say a 10 year old, probably the parent reaches out to you. You have an online Zoom meeting. Like how often do you coach them? So most of the athletes that we work with train year round, you know, gymnasts, figure skaters, swimmers. It's a lot of these sports that train year round. Mm -hmm. And so we operate year round and we, it's, we go month to month. So the standard member would have access to how many is it's five different live trainings per week that they could attend because everybody's schedules are so nutty. So we have five different options that they have different coaches they can be with. Like I'm one of the Wednesday girls. There's another coach on Wednesdays. We've got Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays. And so we have all these different options that they can show up and join the group. We also have um, weekly challenges that are all pre-recorded, so they can do them on demand, like five minutes here, 10 minutes there. Typically, I recommend do it in the car on the way to practice. So they'll have their little exercise of the day that helps them to, you know, sort of like that failure exercise. That's one of them that we would do. So we have all these different exercises that they go through, you know, like the courage challenge that helps you to build your courage. We have the confidence accelerator challenge that helps you to like, um, it's like self-worth and self-belief. We kind of step into that. And so they do it at their own pace and they have access to all that. And then the parents have their own Facebook group and their own course. Okay. So it's a monthly membership. So they have access. That's amazing. That's really good. It's so cool. It's so cool to see it like, and how the parents all come together and how the kids all support each other. They have a little group me, um, like chat app that I get, I get pings on my phone while they're chatting and they're supporting each other. And I'm like, it makes my heart swell. So these are kids and parents from around the world or mostly in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah uh, mostly North America, but we have yeah we've got kids from New Zealand, lots of lots of kids in Canada. Um, we've got UK, plenty of kids in UK from they different speak. sports. Mm-hmm. I love so, it. I love this. So you help them basically build their confidence and exactly yeah exactly that's the that's the deal. It's like fear and confidence are opposites. So you come in for fear but really the solution is confidence. And mm-hmm. so they, that's the idea is that they'll have these skills so that they can confidently thrive beyond sport. So it's not just about, you know, getting your back handspring on the beam. That's, yeah. that's what the kid shows up for, but we sort of Trojan horse in these life skills that then transcend sport. That's of my course. real goal. I think it, that's why this, this phenomenon of mental blocks happens most often in highly talented individuals mm-hmm. because they are delivered this message of you are talented. So they feel like I came with it and I, it must have run out. I must have reached the end because it's, this is my capacity for success and I have now reached the end versus the kid who was never told they were talented that just knows I got to work hard because I'm not talented. <laughs> That's the kid who's more likely to go far because they realize that it's directly related to their effort and not yeah. related to the, the shape of body they were born with. And how do these athletes get coached around losing a game, disappointment, because yeah. it happens? Yes. My favorite tool is called bounce back routine because failure and mistakes and losses are part of the deal. You know, even if you're the best team ever, if if an Olympic team comes and plays you, they're going to win. Like that's just what's going to happen. You're going to face that. So, um, so knowing your own trigger, some people are very sensitive to criticism. Those fixed mindset kids who are like, I can't let anybody know I'm not perfect or all the facade will come crashing down. They have to have something ready. Um, like Tiger Woods, for example, the golfer had um, a bounce back routine, I call it, where he used to get so frustrated if he had a bad shot that he would throw his club and he would throw a fit and it was very unprofessional, very unacceptable on the golf course. So he started instead on purpose. He would stomp out his frustration all the way to his bag of clubs. He'd hold his club, he'd clench his hand around it. And then as he released it into the bag, he let it go and he had a clean slate. And so I encourage that process. So with swimmers, you go in the, the cool down pool and you'd thrash it out and you'd cry in your goggles and you give yourself a predetermined amount of time to feel the disappointment, to own it. Be like, oh, I'm so mad about this. That I'm frustrated. And then when you get out of the pool, you let the water drip down off of you and then it 
goes away and you are clean and clear, ready for mm. your next rate. So having something, not everybody has a Let it out, like physically in a way to yes, let it on out. on purpose, in a calculated way. Give yourself a walk to the drinking fountain where you're sad and mad. You drink the water, you let it wash down, you take a breath, you restart. You know, giving yourself the permission to process it, feel it, and then let it go. And then refocus on what's next, what's mm. in front of you. Do you talk about goal setting with them? Like they're reaching way too high, way too quick. Talk about that uh, quickly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that is one of the biggest things that sets people back on their journey through fear and through confidence is that they are not setting themselves up for success. Whether their coach isn't setting them up for success because they're saying, get on the high bar, you're ready, even though they feel intuitively like they're not. Um, but a lot of the time, these athletes, they look at their teammates and they go, well, she's moving faster than me. So I need to just get into that progression now, even though mm -hmm. I don't feel physically ready. Yeah. And that rushing slows down the process faster than anything you can possibly do. Because it's, I think of it like, um, like you have a confidence piggy bank that you're, every time you do one little easy progression, you're putting a penny in a little drill or just one little skill. You're, you're kind of filling it up slowly over time with your pennies and your nickels and your dimes. You do it on the low beam and you're putting in a quarter and you're doing it and you've got your mats around and you're, you're still, you're filling it up even though you're not perfect, but it's filling and filling and filling to the point where your brain goes, okay, I have enough information to know that I think we'll be okay. Let's give it a try. If you push it and you get up and you're, you're not ready and you freeze up out of fear, it's like taking $5 out of the bank. It's one of the biggest blows to your confidence when you freeze up and you, sometimes you'll bail out of a skill or you, you know, it's like the ultimate failure, which then sets you back so much farther than if you just kept working slowly and you just kept filling it up and filling it up to the point where, you know, yes, I'm ready. I feel nervous, but yes, I'm ready. Let's go. So that it's that slow and steady rather than rush and fail, rush and fail, rush and fail, which over time makes you start to feel hopeless. It makes it feel like, oh, I just can't do this. It's mm -hmm. not in me. I've failed so many times. I can't do it. But no, it's not that you can't do it. It's you're not ready yet. Well, how can you know when is it enough to push? Yes, you're ready for the next step. And when is it? No, this is too much. How can you know? Because it's like so close. Yes. And that is like the whole first month of my training is basically on figuring out that balance of when to push and when not to. Uh, but I've come up with a pretty simple way where you, it's like a scale of one to 10 for confidence. If you're a 10 out of 10, then you feel it's amazing, easy, no problem. You could do it in your sleep. One, heck no, not even going to try. That's terrifying. No way. Don't make me even look <laughs> at that. And basically your, what your brain needs in order to allow your body to follow through with something that could be potentially dangerous is your brain needs to know that there's enough information to prove that you're going to be safe. And so it likes about a 70% chance of safety. So if you're at a seven, eight, nine, or 10 out of 10 for confidence to do something that could be considered dangerous for somebody else, then you can freely try it. If you're at a six, this is what happens is a lot of people will be at a five or a six where they feel like, oh man, I could die, but I really need to do this because my coach is yelling at me. So I'm just going to do it. Oh, and I call that chuck and pray. They like chuck it and pray and hope I don't die. Yeah. Then that's a terrifying experience, which their brain registers as, yeah, you did it, but it wasn't safe. So we're not doing that again. And, and then, is that where injury can happen? Yeah, because they tense up. Level? Their muscle memory is prepared to do it well, but they are scared. So they flinch and then they bail out or yeah, absolutely. Injury happens when you're tense, when you, when you need to be flowing and you can't be flowing if your brain senses a massive threat. Even, even though you've done the skill a hundred times, if your brain senses a threat on this one, it will tense you up and that's what happens. So, so I teach the kids to figure out, am I, am I chucking it or am I at a nine and I'm staying stuck because I don't want to get out of my comfort zone that you get both ends of the spectrum where you got to navigate into that mm -hmm. sweet spot. That's like, I don't want to, but I know I can, and I know I'll be safe. That's like, that's the zone of confidence building. Love that. That's the leap that's of faith. A good way to kind of put a number on it. Anything else you think might be um, helpful for a mom, a parent listening? Anything else you want to add? Maybe I missed. I would say about like the, the conversation in the car before or after, but most importantly, after. If they don't want to talk, don't make them talk. If they don't want to talk about it, don't make them talk about it. 
And also when you drop them off, don't say, go get your skill today, go score some goals today. Don't, don't emphasize the outcome. Just emphasize that you love them, have fun. You know, that was really fun to watch you. I'm so proud of you. You're working really hard out there and then zip it. They don't want to talk for 45 minutes. They just were stressed out for four hours. They don't want to talk anymore. They want to look at their phone or they want to listen to music or so let them. And then if they want to talk about it, your job is to listen. It's not to give advice. It's not to point out what you noticed. It's definitely not to compliment their teammate because then they're going to take that personally. It's to listen. That is Mm. it. And sometimes when you completely disagree with them or you think that they're missing something critical, best thing you can do is bite your tongue and just repeat their words back to them. If that's all you can do, it's like, oh, you, you feel like you didn't play well today because they said that like that's, and then they can hear that and they go, well, I guess it wasn't that bad. And mm. you just, just listen. Don't, you, they really don't want anything else unless they say, mom, what should I do? That's the only time when you actually should say, I think you should do this. Otherwise it's just listen and then turn the music up and go get them some food. Love that. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy I asked because that's amazing. Yeah. Where can listeners find more about you program, how they can maybe get some coaching for their kids? Uh, Give us all the details. Yes. So you can find our membership community at performhappy.com and that'll give you all the info about that. Um, You can also come and join our free Facebook group. It's for parents of athletes age 10 to 18 and that's called Sport Confidence Accelerator on Facebook. We would love to have you. And you have your podcast. It's also called Perform Happy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll end with one question I asked everyone that comes on the podcast. So we all know that being a mother, a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences, keeping motherhood inspired. What one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout your mom journey? You know, I think it's, for me, the challenge is presence. It is to be in it. And I had a, a, a dear friend lose a daughter while I was mm-hmm. pregnant with my first, which gave me so much intense gratitude for the squishy little fingers of my little baby, you know, and the, the, the like squishy little cheeks and the, you know, everything about being able to physically hold my little buddy in my arms. And it's easy to get away from that and go, Oh, it's so annoying. And why do I have to distance learn. And it's, it can be so inconvenient to be a parent, but then those moments to where I'm like have her little hand and I can feel it. And and I remember, you know, this is such a gift to have this, this little wonderful being who's in my stewardship for this period mm-hmm. of time. Like I think the, the gratitude and presence, when I find those moments, that's when the inspiration comes back. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, Keeping Motherhood Inspired Podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening, two, three, four, five, six stars, whatever you feel reflect podcast. This will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye guys.